is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 411, recorded Thursday, November 29th, 2018. It sure is. It's almost the end of November, and, uh, you know, winter is here. It's colder, but that's okay. We're less than a month from Christmas, and I'm looking uh, it, forward to some time off. Oh, me too. That'd be uh, that'd be pretty sweet. This is the, uh, the information episode, 411. Is that still a thing? 411, well... I don't know. That's a really good question. I know in this city where we live, known as Toronto, you can dial 311, and that calls the government. Yeah, that calls the, the city government. Well, the city government, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't call, like, you know, prime minister. <laughs> Just anyone dial 311, you get a direct line to Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Hey, Justin, what are, what's going on up there, over there, man? Yeah, I, we'd want to, people want to know. Uh, no, no you, people used to say, like, what's the 411, meaning information, because it was widely known that 411 was uh, meant for calling information. That's a good question. I don't know if that's still a thing. There's only one way to find out, which yeah, we can try there's later. There's probably seven ways to find out, but there's a good way to find out. And there's, I mean, you could just ask. I'm asking you, and that's some, start asking people. That's one way. Yeah. You could dial it. That's another way. You could look on the internet. Anyway, uh, 411. It is or used to be a way of getting uh, telephone-related information, like somebody's phone number. Us, uh, us old people remember that. I don't know if the younger people do anymore. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway. That is weird. Here, here we are. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Welcome to the program. We are here to talk some feedback for the mid-season finale of The Walking Dead, and we I look forward to getting into that. But first... I want to do a couple of things, and that first thing is to talk about the ratings for a minute for this episode. Season 9, Episode 8, the live viewing numbers are as follows, Jason. 5.09 million people watched the episode. Is that up or down? I can't keep track anymore. It's up from uh, the episode right before, which was 4.79, which was almost the lowest of all time, not quite. Right. Uh, So it's up a little bit, but it's down compared to most of the episodes this season, and it is the lowest mid-season finale total by quite a margin. Right. So what's our what's the median uh, what's the median uh, ratings for this season? Well, you know, I don't have that calculation right in front of me, but the the lowest we had was four point seven nine million, and the highest we had was six point zero eight. So right around the five and a half mark. All right. Well, next time I'd like to know the median and the standard deviation. Okay, thanks. I'll try to stay on top of that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Once we get an intern, Jason, we can have the intern do all the sort of calculations and and whatnot. Yeah, pr- preferably with an undergraduate degree in statistical analysis. Sure, perfect. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's out there that wants to uh, do that kind of thing, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, with that kind of skill set, that'd be perfect. Yeah. Okay, the other thing I want to do just before we get into our our real feedback here is actually read a couple of emails from listeners, but regarding a specific topic, and that is Tom Payne's feelings about being off the show. He did an interview, or he's done a number of interviews in the last week or so since the show has aired. Um, uh, well, not really in the last week, but you know, starting after the broadcast. And Danny 
One of our listeners in London wrote in with this email. He says, I'm not sure if you guys have seen Tom Paine's interview following him leaving the show. He pretty much said it was a mutual decision and that he was really frustrated at the lack of action Jesus had. I completely agree with this. I feel like his character had so much potential and has been a background character for far too long now. The only fight he had during All Out War was with Morgan. When he first came into the show and he gave Daryl and Rick the runaround, you saw what he was capable of. Here you have this ninja badass, and he's been doing pretty much nothing for the last season. So what Danny's referring to is this interview he did, and, you know, I don't have Tom Payne's quote right in front of me here, but basically it's just that he he had become somewhat frustrated with his lack of use on the show. Uh, you know, he knew he was contributing in a small way, but he just wanted to do more. And he said things like he trained every day and then never really got to show off his skills on the show. Right. Uh, so, you know, he wasn't as kind of disappointed, he said, when he got the call from Angela that his character was going to die. I think in a small way, it was a bit of a relief for him. He was, you know, he was kind of in a way looking forward to to moving on if this is sort of all he was going to be on The Walking Dead. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't think... Fine. Yeah, exactly. I don't take that as a negative, really. Um, but it is kind of a bummer that that he got to that point. Yeah. I fully expect him to show up on one of the Marvel television shows on Netflix. Well, he could. Yeah, he, he, very, much, he very well could. I don't know. There's, all, there's also the possibility that he has some role to play in whatever's going on between Michonne and the communities. And if we see flashbacks about that, there's no reason he might not be in those flashbacks. Yep. Right. He, he could also be in the movies with Rick. He could also be in the movies with Rick. No, he know. won't be in the movies with Rick because there's a time gap there. He'd have to have gone to do the move to do whatever Rick is doing and then show up back at the hilltop afterwards. Well, right? well, yeah, I'm, look. Okay, so that, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm just saying anything is possible. He might... Tom Payne's relationship with The Walking Dead might be far from over. <laughs> yeah. If you've, if, you know, which is exactly what Rick said or Andrew Lincoln said. He might just concentrate on theater. Who knows? Who knows what he's going to do? But, you know, the point is he wasn't super disappointed to get the death call. Uh, but on, along the same lines, our listener Chris in the UK wrote in and he said this. Kirkman has a freedom when he writes the comics that no TV show could ever perfectly replicate. If Kirkman decides to write 10 issues without Rick Grimes, he's free to do so. Comic Rick isn't going to complain and isn't costing him or his boss's money. The producers of the show have to deal with real people who cost real money. Why did seasons 7 and 8 focus so heavily on Rick and Negan? It's not much of a leap to assume that part of the reason for that is that Andrew Lincoln and Jeffrey Dean Morgan were getting paid a lot of money and there was pressure to get the money on screen. Personally, I've liked Jesus when we've seen him, and while I would have been happy to see more of him in past seasons, I can't honestly say that past seasons would necessarily have been better if we had. So I come back to this. What a great way to introduce your new threat, and what a great way for a character to go out. Tom Payne seems to feel the same way, so all's well that ends well. Yeah, That kind of sums it up. It does. I mean, has anybody asked Robert Kirkman whether or not Rick Grimes complains when he's not in a an issue of the comic book? I don't believe so. Because God knows how crazy he really is, right? So maybe these people are real and that uh, if he doesn't 
get them on the uh, on the page, they uh, they bitch and moan. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's all in Kirkman's head. <laughs> yep. He's just trying to get it out so that uh, it doesn't have to stay in there. Yeah, that could be it. Um, anyways, thanks you guys for sending in those two emails. And, you know, like I said, it, it could be that Tom Payne actually isn't done with the show. If we do flashback to, you know, there's six years of content that we haven't seen there. So he might yeah. play a big part in some of that stuff. Flashbacks might be tough though, because, uh, if Tom Payne's moving on to other things, he's going to get a haircut, I assume, uh, and, you know, shave off the beard. Cause when he first started, he has to, he had to wear, uh, prosthetic fur. <laughs> yes. Hair, also known as uh, a fake before, beard. <laughs> also known as hair and a beard <laughs> before he could grow, grow it out himself. So I guess they could do that, right? Like, I mean, Michonne's wearing a wig that's obviously horrible. And, uh, so is Carol. So, and well, so is Ezekiel for that matter. Mm-hmm. And who knows who else is also wearing a wig? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe everybody's wearing a wig. Maybe it's just like they show up on set. It's like, no, 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 no. Nobody's hair is good. Everybody's getting a wig. Every wig's for you. Wig for you. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, you're probably right. I asked Tom Payne on a panel I moderated with him about the fake beard that he started with. And he said he hated it and was m- much happier when he grew out his real beard. So, Oh yeah, I mean that's that that's part of your manhood, right? Oh yeah, being able to grow a big beard, and if uh, if you have to wear a fake one, that'd be emasculating. <laughs> you know, some people can't grow big beards, Jason, and they're. I know, but do you think that they would prefer to wear a wig beard? Oh, I don't know, probably not. So so anyway, I yeah, it's like grow wear your own beard or none at all. I think is is the the. the the way I feel about it, let's just focus in on, uh, I would never wear a fake beard, maybe for TV, but I wouldn't want to be on TV. So this is all moot. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyways, if he comes back, he probably would be okay with wearing a fake beard for one or two episodes, but we'll have to- It is his job. We can see it is his job. That's right. Your job is to wear a fake beard. We're going to pay you handsomely to do that. (laughs) Done. I need someone to say that to me, frankly. (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) You want to be a beard model? Is that what well, that is? Well, you know what? If someone came up to me and said, we want to pay you handsomely to wear a fake, you know, fur coat on just your back, I'd probably do that too. All right. I have well. very little, you know, self-consciousness and I would do anything. Yeah, you're a whore. Uh, totally. All right. Yeah. Let's do the real feedback now. Sure. Listener feedback. Okay. We're going to start with Gemma in South Wales, UK. Gemma writes... Uh, Oh, this is regarding us trying to figure out when Tara joined the show. She says, Tara first appeared in the Governor's Backstory, episodes 406 and 407. And then that attack on the prison is 408, not season three like you guys thought. Then I think it's a few episodes later when Rosita, Eugene, and Abraham are introduced. So, yes, I think the longest surviving cast member are now Carol, Daryl, Michonne, Judith, Tara, Rosita, Eugene, Father Gabe, and Aaron. It's changed a lot since Alexandria and Negan, etc. It has. So it was season four for Tara, not three. Thankfully, we weren't like way off, but significantly incorrect at the same time. Well, you know, our brains are going prison season three. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. But she shows up sort of at the second go with the governor, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Thank you, Gemma, for clarifying that. Yeah, thank you. Next, we have an email from Paul in England. I think you're right in that Eugene was probably down in that hole for around a day and a half. And unlike Negan, he didn't even have a bedpan. 
I don't envy the person who was front in line when that hatch door opened. Yeah, it might have been a little gross down there, but at the same time, it might not have been, you know. I'm just going to say that I don't think a bedpan would have helped in that situation. Yeah, you're probably right. It's still down there with him. <laughs> it's still down there with you. It's just instead of being in the hay, it's in your hand. Yeah. It might have even been worse since it's such a small combined space. It's confined, I mean. Yeah. Hard to say. <laughs> Hard to say, really. But anyways, thanks, Paul. Stinky, for... stinky, regardless. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into a call. This comes from Gareth. Hey, Chris and Jason. I got some feedback. I like... Uh... I like TV shows when they when they have their soundtrack and what they decide to do is take elements of the soundtrack and change it for a certain theme. I don't want to be too Game of Thronesy, but Game of Thrones do that well with a lot of uh, with a lot of themes that they have going on. And uh, one thing I really love about The Walking Dead is their use of the th- of the soundtrack. Bear, Mc- Bear McCreary, he's a really good composer. And um, what I what I think would be what I noticed when Jesus died was that they had a very subtle a couple of very subtle instruments in there which was a little bit out of place it felt like it was not heard before in The Walking Dead I'm sure it was you know because if you watch an episode of The Walking Dead with no music it stands out pretty you you can tell straight away that it needs its soundtrack but you might not necessarily listen to every single little note and pitch and sound but I think it would be really amazing if uh, they used, if they started to use certain themes for certain people. And uh, that, that if you go back and listen to the bit when Daryl's just ripping off the mask, the Dead Skin mask, that's a Slayer song. <laughs> um, it would be really amazing if they used that as the, the Whisperers theme. You know, kind of similar to how they had the whistle for the Saviors. That would be really cool. Or maybe they've already done that and I'm not paying attention. But anyway, that's all I wanted to say. All right. Thanks, Gareth. You know, we haven't really talked about Bear McCreary in a long time and the musical job he's doing on this show. And tell me, Jason, is it it good when the music doesn't jump out and you don't really notice it? Or is that bad? Uh, I really don't know the answer to that. Music never really jumps out at me whenever watching movies or TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know whether I take that as a, uh, as a as a failing on my part and not a boon on the composer's part. Yeah, fair enough. So I really I I don't feel qualified. You know, being a musician, I don't feel qualified to answer <laughs> that because I really don't pay attention to the music. Interesting, weird. It, well, I'm a weirdo. I really am. Well, you know, we've done 411 episodes now. I think everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously Jesus and Mary Chain a couple of weeks ago really jumped out at me, but that's because it was so, it felt so out of place on the show, even though I think it worked fine and I liked the song. Um, But the the actual score that Bear McCreary does is is really good. And they've, you know, they've released that as sort of albums sometimes, and it's, it's, can be interesting to listen to. Um, but I also think the idea of sort of uh, situational audio or situational music on the show is a cool one too. Like if you have a, a theme song that sort of goes with a villain or a hero or something like that, you know, this happens all the time in, in movies, especially 
Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and stuff like that. You know, you have the Imperial March. That is what is played when you see the Imperials on screen quite often. Right. Um, do we need like a Whisperer's polka or something? No, probably not. But no. I think some sort of audio cue that kind of goes with the characters like that wouldn't be a terrible thing. And I think it would be subtle. And I think Bear McCreary would do a good job with it. I think so. So it's a it's a good point. And thanks, Gareth, for bringing that up because it's been a while since I've sort of thought about the music really on the show. But it's always really good, too. Uh, yeah, I haven't noticed. As you don't. Maybe you'll start listening to it now. Yeah, we can hope. All right, next we have a call from Anwin. Hey, Chris and Jason. It's Anwin here. Um, just wondering if you guys had heard of the half your age plus seven rule. Um, this is where you take your age, you divide it by two, and then you add seven, and that is the youngest that a person is able to be, to be with you um, legitimately or otherwise, I guess, um, socially acceptable. I don't know. So if you're 20... Half your age is 10, add 7, that's 17. So if you're 20, you could be with a 17-year-old. If you're 40, half your age is 20, add 7, you could be with a 27-year-old. So let's say that Enid at the stage is 23. Half her age would be, yeah, kind of, you know, 11 and a half plus 7. So basically, whoever is with Enid needs to be 18. And I think we're all in agreement that Henry is not 18 yet, maybe 16 or 17 at the most. Let's take Alden, I'd say he's maybe around 30 at this stage, even if he's 32, half his age is 16, add 7, and you've still got 23, so he's all good to be with Enid. Anyway, that's a lot of maths um, for uh, today, but anyway, there you go. Half your age plus 7 rule, and it pretty much works for any age. Give it a try. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, well, thank you, Anwen. And Jason, she did the math, so yeah. it, uh, and it, all, it, all, it all holds up. Yeah, math checks out. It checks out exactly. Yeah. Uh, my my personally, my rule was Star Wars. It was it was that simple. If you were older than the original Star Wars, fine. If you were younger than Star Wars, then you're you're out of the running. Yeah, I but I wouldn't get involved. You were only born like four years before Star Wars came out. I was born in seventy two. Star Wars came out in seventy seven, May of seventy seven. So it's it actually got down to months at some, a couple of times. But uh, yeah, so that was, that was my cutoff. But what you're saying is you would only date someone five years younger than you. That's right. Okay. And if, if by, by the math, you're, you're what, 46? I don't know. 47? Somewhere around there. <laughs> you know, divide it in half and you get uh, 23, let's say, plus seven 30. is 30. Yeah, that's way too young for me. There's no way. Uh, no. I don't know. I mean... I'm I'm happily married. She's well, older than Star Wars. Uh, that's fine with me. It's never going to come up again. So yeah. that's the end of that. You all, of course. But, you know, just hypothetically is, what, is, is how we're speaking here, so... Yeah, 30 would not work for me. If I met somebody that was 30 uh, and, and a relationship started to blossom, I don't think I'd continue it. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm only a couple of years younger than you, so I'm, you know, in the, in about the same boat. Yeah, you're fine. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, if I were to date you, that'd be fine. Because oh, you're you're close. You were you were born before Star Wars, right? That's right, I was. So yeah, everything's good. Okay, well, that's good. As long as we've established the fact that you and I can hook up. <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we both weren't happily married and straight, 
then it could happen and it'd be fine. It would be totally fine. Just talking, you know, straight ages, you know, strictly speaking ages. Okay, so what have we learned here? We've learned that math works and that uh, uh, Henry's out, but uh, what's his name with the hair is in? For Enid, yes. For Enid, okay. Well, really, Enid is in for Alden, and uh, um, uh, Henry's Henry is. out for Enid. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah, and Henry's way too young for Alden. We've uh, also established that, right? Way too young. Way too yeah. young. That's right. Okay. 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 <laughs> That's good. Thank you, Anwin, for that. Right. All right. Is it me? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's you. A, it's a call. From Lee. I think Lee has a bunch of points here, so we'll uh, we'll hear him right now. Sure. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Lee in St. Catharines, and I got so much to talk about with this episode. I got six things, so it's kind of annoying. I hope it's not too much. First is Gabe. That's the second time he hasn't closed the door correctly and caused problems. Remember back, I think it was season five, when they first got to Alexandria, and he went out and was all distraught and tried to commit suicide with a walker? And then he walks back in and doesn't close the door and a whole bunch of walkers get in and then uh, Rick has to end up killing Pete in the end of that episode. So that's twice he's done it and he hasn't learned his lesson. He should smarten up. The second was I agree with Chris completely about the kids. That whole scene didn't make any sense. It was the second time we'd seen that scene, uh, the one where they had the walker in the hole. Uh, remember when Glenn and Nicholas were having a problem? They had a tied up walker. The exact same thing where like, you know, the hero gets pissed off and figures it out like that scene was in there already i didn't like it that time i didn't like it this time <clears throat> there's also their cabin in the woods how did that thing have power like they had a chandelier like you guys said and it was lit up and nice and and how has no adult in six years come across that with all their scavenging that made no sense to me and then they dug a hole so you guys were wondering who dug that hole six years ago in the bridge i bet you it was those fucking kids that's all they seem to do they got time to dig holes <clears throat> um also the the apocalypse started in 2010, like way back when the whole uh, series started. And it was on the tombstones in fear, uh, said the date, 2010. We, Judith is now nine with one year worth roughly of Lori being pregnant. And so now that means this show is in the future. It's 2020 if it's gone 10 years. That's, I thought it was kind of crazy. And my last thing is don't forget Scramble. You have to watch those movies you didn't oh, watch shit. before. And you said you were going to do it this time. And you said someone would remember. Well, I'm going to be that dick. So I'm going to remember for it. And you got to watch those crappy movies. Okay, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Okay, a couple things. One, call me by my clown name, which is fun. Uh, second, he said the phrase, I'm going to be that dick, which is funny. It is funny. I think it was funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the show is in the future now. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I never really thought of that. But if if that's the case, I mean, if Judith is nine plus pregnancy time, that's nearly 10 years. And it that's started in 2010. Awesome. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen. Uh, well, I don't know. I In the future? or in, Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the future. I, mean, I wonder if they're going to discover uh, iPhones. Uh, well, I don't know. We should ask <laughs> Anwen. She's in the future right now, being in New oh, Zealand and all. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. I think that chandelier was candle powered. I think there was candles all around that cabin. I don't think there was power in there, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't think that they had a generator or batteries. Like, I mean, they're a pretty industrious group of kids, right? They basically built a cabin, dug a hole, constructed and designed a drum set, 
Uh, they made a bunch of rope rings in order to play their zombie little game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they're pretty industrious. So they might have a, a battery hooked up to a generator that's hooked up to a bicycle uh, so that they can burn off some of their excess energy in uh, in battery power. So but that might, might be the case. But uh, even even then, uh, you know, in if it's 10 years after the zombie apocalypse, uh, finding a working battery and having it maintain a charge for any length of time would probably be very difficult. Yeah, pretty tough. Uh, but I think you're right. I don't know if we necessarily had power in that cabin, especially if the chandelier was candle-powered. There's no reason they can't be burning candles all over the place. Yeah, dangerous. Well, I mean, but whatever. They're kids. Yeah, they're clearly not the most responsible, but you know, maybe candle safety is something that's really hammered home into kids in the zombie apocalypse because that's all you have, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to... If you're going to lie back on a couch reading the newspaper, don't have a candle on your chest. It's just common sense. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, what about Father Gabe uh, not locking doors right for the second time? Yeah, he doesn't know how doors work, apparently. No, he's got he's to get that resolved uh, because not only did he let a bunch of zombies in the first time, now he's letting Negan out, so... Yeah, but that door locked. We've established that, right? But we haven't established that in uh, continuity in the show. I mean, what we saw was that door latch. Sure. What actually happened was Gabe left the door unlocked like a doofus. Yep. Again. Again. (laughs) Friggin' Gabe. It's all his fault. Well, maybe he'll pay the price for it this time. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, they should take out that other eye. Take that, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Man, that's harsh. <laughs> you left the door open. I'm cutting your eyeball out. Sorry. Well, you let out. Uh, you let out Negan for crying out loud. I know. No, I, it's a big deal. It's not just leaving the door unlocked and uh, coming home and the door is unlocked, but nothing else happened. It's like, geez, that was a close one. <laughs> I guess so. Negan is on the prowl again. Yeah, but like my uh, like my dad always said, locks only keep the honest people out. Mm-hmm. If you want to, so if you want to get in, you're going to get in regardless of whether the door's locked or not. I guess so. I guess so. so. All right, fair point. Except, except for prisons. Prisons locks are, you know, not to keep the honest people in, to keep the dishonest people in. Well, they might. You could be an honest criminal, couldn't you? I don't yeah. see why not. I'm, yeah. I'm going to stab you in the face. That's honest. And if you do it, you're you're being truthful. <laughs> you're also a criminal. <laughs> Yeah, not a very nice person, that's for sure. Not a very nice person, but you're honest about it. Okay, so that's good. I've uh, Yeah, we're good. Next, we have an email from Antoine in New York. Just wanted to say, holy crap, did you guys notice the guy that took the cuffs off Negan after his talk with Gabe is a former former savior? He's a background character, and I'm sure he won't get any screen time. And uh, more than likely, it was Gabe who left the cell door open. But still, a former savior guarding Negan? Well, you know, Antoine, if this is true, and I'm not 100% sure, I didn't really recognize that guy, but I completely believe you when you say he's a former savior. If this is true, this does seem like a terrible idea, even six years later. And maybe, maybe, just maybe this will be a thing on the show. Maybe that guy is responsible for him getting out. Maybe. Right? It's- well, that makes sense from what we saw. Gabe locked the door, then he got un- his handcuffs unlocked. But how come, uh, if that's the case, uh, you know, I assume Negan's been in that cell the whole time mm-hmm. and didn't notice that somebody unlocked the door and left? Okay, well, 
yeah, you would think that there was some kind of um, plan being executed here if that guy has anything to do with it, right? And you'd think you'd see them both escaping at the same time. But Negan has to sleep. And so maybe this guy, for some plausible deniability, waited till Negan fell asleep, unlocked the door, and then left. Or like his shift ended, and then just left, hoping that Negan would figure out that he was free. I don't know. It's just a crazy theory, but I think it's an interesting point to point out that that guy is a former savior. Okay, so you've 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 slept before, right? <laughs> yeah, once or twice. Okay, just to confirm, uh-huh. if you're sleeping uh-huh. in a room and somebody comes into that room that uh, and makes a clanking noise, would it wake you up? I doubt it. Really? Yeah, and I sleep through anything. Sleeper. Sleep right. through anything. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just saying that if he was, if uh, Negan was sleeping and somebody came in and went, and then left? No, especially after that long. I mean, he sleeps, that's where he lives. He sleeps soundly in there. Like, if he's a heavy heavy sleeper, it wouldn't wake him up. You know, our uh, upstairs toilet has been on the fritz a little bit lately, and sometimes it runs in the middle of the night. And my wife was telling me, it runs in the night and wakes me up. you got to fix that. And I'm like, I don't believe you. I've never once heard the toilet run. Because it's never woken me up. So are you saying the toilet starts running after you fall asleep? Well, middle of the night, I'm asleep. Toilet in the middle of the night runs. Yeah. It starts running. Yes. Like it, it doesn't just like, uh, there's a, something wrong with the plunger or the, uh, the, the the handle thing. And it just runs and you don't notice it. And you go to bed and then everything gets quiet. And you notice it. But it actually is fine and then just starts making noise. It was like that for a long time. And then once it ran while I was upstairs and not asleep. But for at least a month, it was only doing it while I was asleep. Which means so, there's a ghost in my house, right? Yeah, you got a toilet ghost. That, yeah. That's fine. You just need a, you need a toilet exorcist is what you need. So look into the yellow pages under call 411. Uh-huh. And, and ask for the toilet exorcist. <laughs> I should try. I should try that. That's a great way to find out if four one one still works. I need a toilet exorcist. Can you get me a number? Right. Yeah. Four one six five 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 seven four seven four. Toilet exorcist. Toilet exorcist. Uh, anyways, no. I think it would be easy to unlock a cell door while someone's asleep and they they don't wake up from it. But especially if he's a savior and he knows how soundly Negan sleeps. And he's his guard, right? right. This guy would know. Uh, that's right. So I, I don't think this is a likely scenario, but I think it's fun to speculate on this. And you never know. I didn't notice that guy was a former savior, so he had to be there for a reason. <laughs> I used to sleep through everything until uh, Jasper was born. Now I wake up instantly oh. when when there's a noise. Yeah. I If I did that for a while, I went back to sleeping normally when my kids became older. So. Oh, that'd be sweet. Be nice. <laughs> used to be able to bash me over the head with something and I wouldn't wake up. Yeah, those were the days, man. I fell asleep when my friend Bill was practicing the trumpet <laughs> in the bed. Like we were hanging out in his bedroom in high school and he was practicing the trumpet and I fell asleep. Well, and he didn't even know how to play the trumpet. <laughs> no, he was practicing. He was just learning. All right. It was my trumpet. <laughs> this, is such, this sounds so bizarre. So I was in a bed with a guy and he was playing my trumpet. What That's is true. <laughs> okay. His name was Bill. <laughs> I think I met Bill. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Good guy. All right. Uh, I'm going to read an email from Courtney in very cold Iowa. Courtney writes, hey, guys, I thought I'd add to the Negan cell door being unlocked discussion. Back in episode five, when Maggie goes to his cell, she has 
she has to unlock it with a key, and then when she puts him back in, she relocks it with the key. Father Gabe did not use a key to lock the door, so it wasn't locked properly. I've been loving this season so far and can't wait for the second half, as well as your podcast. Thank you, Courtney. Okay, so, so yeah, thanks, Courtney. The So the door requires latching and locking. So it latched, mm-hmm. but was not locked. There is a difference, I guess. Yeah, much like my front door. My front door behaves the same way. So all this time you've been going on and on about... No, but about- it's not a cell door. Cell doors, you'd think that the latch lock would be the same goddamn motion. Just for, uh, you know, if somebody's trying to break out of a cell door, you want to be able to push them back and then just shut the door and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Not shut the door and then have to manipulate a key in, given the, the schmo inside the cell enough chance to recover from the push and then get back to you and try and get that key out of your hand and the fight ensues and you got to take out the billy clubs and call the riot gear and get the armored pierogi involved. Uh, that's a whole thing, right? You'd think a cell door would just be a latch lock. They all happen in the same motion, but apparently this one is a, it latches then requires locking. And to be fair, this is kind of a homemade cell. cell. It's not a professional jail. So okay. you, you work with the tools that you have, right? Who built this cell? Well, was, it, was Morgan? Yeah, Morgan built a cell, remember? I don't think this one really looks like the cell he built, but we may... That's been years. I know, but uh, we may... They may be trying to get us to believe that it is the same one, because why do these houses all have cells in the basement? They don't. <laughs> it's uh-huh. a planned community. <laughs> Who knows what they planned? Yeah, very good point. Uh, but I have a feeling we're supposed to believe it's the same one that Morgan built. Right. Um, and... If it is, then, you know, Morgan used the door that he had, and it just latches. Okay, if it's the one that Morgan built, that means the door doesn't lock at all. Because Uh, his experience with the cell is from the cheesemaker, and that door was not locked. So this, he probably designed and built so the door could be closed, but not locked. Possibly. Maybe it's been retrofit since then with some sort of lock. I don't know. Okay, so that uh, this all is coming together. That makes perfect sense. Gabe left the door unlocked. Yeah, he did. I think he did, and I think that's what, exactly what we're going to find out come the back half of season nine. Like a doofus. Like a doofus. Again. I know. He needs, to, he needs someone, he needs to smarten up. Someone needs to give him a lesson on shutting and locking doors. Yeah, well, that would be, uh, uh, what's her name? I think Michonne could handle that. Yeah, Michonne or his girlfriend, Rosita. Rosita. Yeah, that's her. Give him a listen. All right, next we have an email from Ryan in Brisbane, Australia. Just wanted to add some thoughts on Negan and his cell. Even if the cell was not locked properly and and he gets out of it, how is it the main door not locked from the outside and maybe even held with a heavy duty chain or something? Even if he is in the cell, wouldn't you want an extra security? Want the extra security of having something on that main door just in case he makes a move to escape? This is F and Negan we're talking about. If he somehow escaped while Gabe was there because both cell and outer door were unlocked, I could handle it. I just cannot believe the outer door isn't locked and chained when it houses a Hannibal Lecter level murderer. So to be fair, Negan has never eaten anyone that we know of, but he's a pretty bad guy. No, but he's probably killed more people than Hannibal Lecter. Oh, yeah, probably. He's more... Just didn't eat them afterwards. He was feeding his bat, not himself. That's exactly what he was doing. Uh, But again, not that we haven't talked about 
this Negan escape enough and the door already. There are two doors there. Why not keep them both locked? If one gets unlocked or if the inner one is unlocked by accident, at least there's another door that's locked. Um, but apparently it wasn't either. Yeah. Or some kind of uh, trap on the stairs that everybody who goes in and out knows how to get around. But if Negan escapes somehow, he steps on the trap and uh, I'm, I'm sure what happens is like a big cage drops over him like a mousetrap or Pian- something. Piano falls on him. Well, I don't want to hurt him. It's like a big cage drops on him like like in the mouse, the mousetrap game. Yeah. Well, there you go. Like, and then a, a bell dings and they all go, oh my God, Negan's trying to escape and you go get him. And you go get him. Yeah. Or a net. Let's go with a net instead of a big cage. Let's just, you know, net the fucker. Yeah. Big, big net. That would work. Why not? Or lock the door. I mean, whatever's easier. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave the door open. That's probably, probably easier. Yeah. There's probably two doors. Why not have two doors with two locks? Redundancy. That's the, that's the name of the game here. It sure is. Yeah. It sure is. Uh, all right. I think we can uh, we can probably move on. Um, here's another email from Gemma in South Wales. I don't think Negan escaping is as ominous as it may seem. The show has to be careful with him now because he can't come out all guns blazing because people have had enough of that. I think his genuine affection for Judith may show he does have some redeeming qualities. We shall see. So he's, he, he's smiling and escaping to make spaghetti. He's to make Spaghetti Tuesday, yeah, and uh, he's gonna he he's gonna babysit uh, RJ now, you know, <laughs> secretly. Like he's 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 escaping to do some babysitting, right? <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, but I I do think Gemma has a good point here. I think the way they've used Negan in season nine so far has been perfect. You know, he has yeah. he hasn't been in it that much, and but he's played an important part. We see him kind of being Negan manipulating people, but it's working better for me because he's incarcerated. Um, Now he's out and we'll have to see where it goes. But if they just immediately fall right back into big hip thrusty aggrandizing Negan, people are going to be like, oh God, we're going back to this again. Just like you were feeling with those remaining saviors, remember? Yeah. The saviors come back and you thought, oh no, more of this. But then... They all burned up in a fire immediately, and they put that to bed. I don't think Negan is going to be killed off right away, but they're going to have to do something different to just, well, just to make it different, and so that we don't feel like we're retreading the same stuff again. Right. So he might just go over to Father Gabriel's uh, bed, wake him up, and say, hey, dumbass, you left the door unlocked. Can you come and lock the door? Yeah. Escort me back there. Put me back in and turn the key this time, would you? Yeah. Or he could have just turned around and sat in the cell with the door open. Mm-hmm. Would have made a very big point next time somebody came in to check on him that the door was open and he was still there. Yeah, exactly. He could have just made it made a statement like that, for sure. All right, next we have a call from Scott. Hey, Jason, Chris, this is Scott from Arkansas. Just a, a few notes on this uh, <clears throat> uh, recent episode, uh, the mid-season finale. Uh, very good overall. I really enjoyed it. I had some thoughts, uh, follow up regarding, uh, the last podcast. Uh, first off regarding Negan, uh, in the prison cell with the glove and the ball. I don't think that's necessarily torture of Negan. It was a throwback to the Steve McQueen movie, The Great Escape, World War II movie. He's in the, uh, the Nazi prison, the Stalag. 
And every time that he goes to solitary confinement, uh, he has the glove and the baseball, and he's throwing it against the wall and catching it, and that's what it reminded me of. I think they were intentionally doing a callback. But if you think about it in the terms of the show, the timeline, over the course of six years, they've given him a window to look out. I don't think they're torturing him. I think they just, you know, are actually giving him something to do uh, to be a little bit more humane. But that was just my thoughts. Really, I just like the whole Great Escape uh, throwback. But what's really killing me about the show right now, in a good way, is I am dying over the mystery of the the backstory of what they're not telling us about the animosity that's been built up between the communities, uh, between Hilltop and Alexandria and the kingdom. And so I'm dying to find out what's going to happen in that. But my question to you is, do you think they're going to do a flashback episode that goes back a few years and shows what happens? So... I think that'd be kind of neat if they do, but that's my question. So give me your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Scott. Uh, so just about the first part there and, and sort of the torture with the baseball glove. My understanding of that when you were talking about it uh, last episode, I think, uh, is, is not so much that they're intentionally torturing him by saying, oh, here's a baseball glove that I bet you this reminds you of Lucille. It's more a a personal kind of torture for Negan in that it's it is a baseball glove and it's going to remind him of Lucille uh so so it's kind of just personal to him not so much that they're doing it on purpose to to break him or anything like that right or is or is I, that not true <laughs> well that's what I would have done I would have given him a baseball glove to remind him of Lucille just as a as a as a screw you yeah well, okay, so I, I don't know. I think, and then not talk to him because that's the way I would roll as well. It's, you know, what he wants is someone to talk to in Lucille. Mm-hmm. So give him a baseball glove, nobody to talk to. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and and you know, here's here's some something else. I have to admit, I didn't get the reference on the callback to the Stephen Queen movie because I've never seen The Great Escape. I have seen the movie, and I didn't get the callback either. I've only seen it once. That's the movie where he's driving a motorcycle and jumps over a fence. It's pretty cool. It sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I have seen it. I don't recall that callback. Well, it's probably a pretty big part of the movie, or not big, but it's it stands out because I, I saw that, uh, I saw people make reference to that uh, elsewhere, not just, not just uh, in the communication to us, so... Uh, I do think The Walking Dead was probably going for that. It was a reference to The Great Escape. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't pick up on it, I'm afraid. And, you know, Negan, if he's being tortured, um, again, I don't think it's sort of an intentional torture by Father Gabe or whoever ended up, whoever, or Michonne or whoever gave him that glove. I think they probably were like, you know what, here, bounce this ball against the wall. It'll give you something to do while you're sitting in here. And if it makes you feel bad because you don't have Lucille, well, you don't have to use it. So I don't know. Uh, Anyways, thank you, Scott, for that call. Oh, he also asked about, um, are we going to get flashbacks for the Michonne plotline? We are. The answer is yes. I'm pretty sure they've actually officially even announced that already. Um, They've definitely told us, the showrunners, I mean, that we are going to get that story. And since it happened in the six years of time, it's likely going to be have to told be told via some sort of flashback. Um, 
And then, or as a story, like they could sit down and be telling Judith a story. Well, yeah. I mean, do you remember in what was it, episode two of this season, we had Rick tell the story of starting to rebuild the bridge and how that was a good day um, because his people all came together and that was framed as him telling that story to Negan, right? Right. And I really liked that. So I wouldn't be upset if they did that again, probably not with Negan, but in a similar fashion with other characters, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we have some new characters, so they have to be told the story. That's true. They might just sit around a campfire and relate what happened over six years. So yeah, maybe side chat. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but that you could argue is kind of a flashback too. So either way. Oh yeah. Anyway, Scott, we are going to get it. And I think it's going to come in the back half of season nine. Yes. Okay. Uh, Mike in Iowa writes, I can understand Michonne finding the group because Rosita could tell her what specific barn she left Eugene in, whereas the search party was just wandering around. Where she found them was not that far from the barn. Um, and then why don't you read the next one, Jason, and we'll talk about how Michonne got there. Sure. This is from Graham in Hereford, England. I've been thinking on how Michonne found the other guys. One, Rosita gives Michonne a general idea of the area she left Eugene, Eugene so Michonne has something to go on. Two, Daryl sets off... Uh, a good amount of firecrackers to try and divert the zombies attention so now Michonne is going to going in the right direction and she heard the firecrackers three now she is closing in on the correct area and she could pick up the tracks or hear the commotion she follows that and finds the group in trouble so it kind of makes sense it falls into place a little bit here we know that Rosita said this is where Eugene is so unlike the search party um who had to figure out how to get there, Michonne can go straight there, which has got to be much faster. Then Daryl's lighting off fireworks. There's not a lot of other sound in the world anymore, so commotion would probably carry over the wind a little farther, and maybe she gets lucky and she kind of shows up right at the right time. So it does make a little bit more sense that Michonne would know where to go and get there in time. True, but they never told us any of that. Fair enough. We had to figure it out on our own, which is... Not necessarily a bad thing, but no. But if you're gonna if if you're gonna do a Days X Machina, then you have to tell us something. You can't can't just show up and say, "Oh, Michonne is you know teleported there because she has a uh, a ring of teleportation to wherever Jesus is uh, when she needs to once per day." Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just as good as an explanation of it, as any of this. I mean, they haven't given us that information. They haven't given us this information. So which one's true? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's the ring of teleportation to Jesus once a day. (laughs) Fine. You can believe that. And everyone else can go with this, uh, you know, Rosita told her where it was story. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, both of those are true until they tell us otherwise. Fair enough. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, what's his name's cat box experiment. Yeah. Schrodinger's Uh, cat. Schrodinger's cat box experiment. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, uh, until the wave form collapses into some kind of reality, uh, both are true. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Both both can be true for now. Uh, one just is probably more likely than the other. Uh, yeah, probably. All right. <laughs> Who can say? Thanks, you guys, for clearing, clearing that up for us. <laughs> uh, right. Chris in the UK writes and says, yes, a fog-filled graveyard at night is very tropey for zombie fiction. But you know what? They've never done it before, and they did it well. I think they've earned a pass on this one. Season one, that gets an eye roll. Season nine, it gets a fuck yeah. 
All right, then. Fair enough. Get to pass on the fog-filled graveyard. Yeah, like I say, it was a bit tropey, but it was still awesome. Yeah, exactly. And Chris agrees with you, so all righty. All right, next we have an email from Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. You can never go wrong with fog. And it's and in this episode, uh, this episode really had a horror movie feeling to it. Uh, the way they have portrayed the whispers these past few episodes have been tremendous, and a, the full-on reveal was shocking. But halfway through the episode, Rosita woke up, and I thought, "Ah, shit! They're going to kill one of these four, aren't they?" I was still surprised when it happened, and even though I was trying to pick out who was going to be the human with a zombie face, the whole episode. The scene of Daryl trying to distract the herd and his confusion at why it wasn't working really added to the tension. Same goes for Eugene's terror and everyone else trying to figure out how this herd was tracking them. Yeah, you got to remember that the characters have no idea what's going on because Rosita is unconscious. And even so she- did the uh, so did the audience in general. Except for you, spoiled it for me. But you know, in general, if I was just watching the show, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know. I'd be like, "Holy shit, what are these guys doing? Like, did the zombies have?" Evolved? That's crazy. Yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, you know, evolve or die. Maybe uh, it's a new, uh, I was thinking, um, it's like, uh, what's that movie with Will Smith and the zombies in New York? Um, I Am Legend. I Am Legend. But they're supposed to be vampires, not zombies. Vampires, whatever. Uh, Zombies, vampires. But they're uh, not necessarily just mindless monsters because of a disease. They're evolving into a new uh, species, really. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was, you know, I would, I would think that uh, that would be the presentation of this show, uh, presenting these, this, the whispers this way. It's just like, well, they're evolving into a new species and they're becoming smarter because they do have these big human brains in there. They may not be using them right now, but over time they may learn to use them. And we've had a six year jump, uh, you know, that would have been uh, very tense and uh, dramatic had I not been spoiled by you earlier. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I this is uh, this is the life I chose. I took one for the team, but I can still enjoy it from that point of view. Totally. Um, and you know, that's a good point. That six-year time jump was probably part of this plan all along to get people to buy into the fact that maybe something had changed. If it was yeah. just the next week, you know, people would be like, the zombies couldn't talk yesterday and now they can talk today seems kind of silly but six years has gone by and who knows what can happen in six years yeah i mean look at uh i was just thinking in terms of of my son like one day he couldn't talk and the next day he was saying dada and mama and various things and now like two years later he's yakking up a storm if he's awake he's talking sure you know six years i'm gonna be yelling at him to shut up in six years <laughs> Yeah, it's just like he's going to be talking up a storm and he'd be like, okay, give it a break for a little while. I just want to sit here for blah, 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 blah. No, 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 just be quiet for like, give daddy five minutes. You know, anyway. a day will come when he's not going to want to talk to you at all. I hope it doesn't, but it happens. So enjoy it while you can. Well, yeah, well, I'm not even, I don't, I can't imagine now that that would be happening, but, uh, you know, it probably will. It might, it might, yeah. All right. Thanks, Matt. Next up is Justine in NorCal. Justine says, I'm very sad to see Jesus die. It's the first time I've gotten teary during a character death in a long time, but I loved the last sequence of this episode. The atmosphere they created in that cemetery was super creepy and cool, and I loved how the new group jumped in to help. They have a bunch of cool weapons, and I love watching them use them. 
Rest in peace, Jesus. You were cool too. Yeah, I really liked his uh, his longsword that he had. That was pretty cool. He like was, it was obviously forged in that uh, uh, in that smithy, and it was it was really neat. It was, and he knew how to use it too. It was fun to watch him just hack zombies and I guess whispers down. It was pretty yeah, pretty wicked. Hopefully, he moves on to a television show or movie where he gets to use a longsword again or a one handed sword. Well, that would be pretty cool, actually. He's got all these sword skills now. He might as well put them to good use. Well, that's what I'm thinking. He might do theater, right? Right. If he does theater or Shakespeare, he gets to use all these sword skills for his sword fighting. Because there were sword fights in Shakespeare, yeah? Sure, yeah. I don't see why not. Well, exactly. You know, it's Hamlet. Hamlet had a big sword fight at the end. Okay, well, he needs to do some Hamlet then. It's too bad Game of Thrones is already done, because he could show up on Game of Thrones and swing a sword. I'd buy that for a dollar. Me too. Is that still a phrase? People, kids still use that today? Well, probably not the kids, but, you know, old guys like you and me. Okay. <laughs> All right, then good. Yep, very good. All right, where are we? We're in uh, Lee and Ipswich, UK writes, I wonder if you could shed some light on something that's puzzling me. What is it about Eugene that the Whisperers like so much? They seem obsessed with trying to locate him. Just him. They didn't try to track Rosita down after they split up. Now, you might tell me that it's because uh, she left their land when she went to get help, but even after this, they had Daryl and his sidekicks hunting for Eugene, and they too were somewhere they shouldn't have been. The Whisperers weren't interested in killing them, instead focusing solely on Eugene. Well, number one, I think the Whisperers were interested in killing the search party. I mean, that's kind of what they did. They followed them and uh, tried to take them out. Now... They didn't go after Daryl, though, when he set off the firecracker. True, they didn't go after Daryl, but maybe they decided we need to stay as a group, and if we're going to go after one guy versus three people, we're going to go after the three people, maybe. The other thing is, I I think they're interested in killing anybody who trespasses on their land, um, and it wasn't just focused on Eugene. Uh, be, and I'm not even sure, actually, they, they realized that Rosita was actually gone because I think maybe they were thinking that she was hiding somewhere with Eugene. And so they were looking for both of them. Right. Um, and then maybe once they started to catch up with them and they realized that it was now just Eugene, they also realized that there's these two or three other new people. So, you know, we're just going to go after them. But I, all I'm trying to say is I don't think they were specifically hunting Eugene. They were just hunting anybody who they perceived had trespassed onto their land. And it worked. Uh, yes, and it did work. They ended up killing someone, and who knows, maybe they'll kill some more. Yeah, and now they've surrounded, maybe they used this uh, this graveyard with the uh, the magical fence that keeps everybody in uh, more often than not. Maybe they try and herd people into this, uh, into this, this kill box. It could be the killbox graveyard. Um, I mean, they were sort of following them, so it, it wasn't really like they were controlling where they go, but. Ah, so we think. I mean, they might be so awesome at doing this that uh, we didn't. they didn't even notice that they were being herded into a killbox. Could be, could be. All right, Brian in Lyme, Massachusetts, I think, L-Y-M-M, Lyme. I don't see why not. Okay, Lyme. Brian says, could someone please explain to me what's up with these whisperers? Do they just wander around the countryside killing any humans they come across for no reason? Surely at this point in the apocalypse, most people would be in the rebuilding society mode and not just trying to kill everybody they come across. 
They kept researching the area over and over again, not giving up till they found Eugene and Rosita. Why? I could see if new people arrived and they were just protecting their territory, but they are the new arrivals. Alexandria, Hilltop, etc. have been there going on at least eight years now and not a whisperer in sight. If I was them, I would approach new people and show them what a great new technique I came up with to blend in with the dead and join forces to get stronger, not attack. The only theory I have that makes sense, and I don't believe it is correct, is that these people are former saviors, hell-bent on getting revenge on our groups. That would explain them wanting to hunt down and kill our people, especially Eugene. Uh Right? I don't think they're former saviors. No, I don't either. But this is the show. It's going to be different from the comics. And who knows what the show is going to do. This actually makes a little sense to me. There was a splinter group of saviors. Maybe we didn't know about them. Uh, It did seem like there were a lot of people still living in the sanctuary early on uh, this season, right? So maybe there is a group of saviors out there. They've been gone for six years. In six years, they've turned into the Whisperers. They've figured out this whole Walker skin suit idea, and now they're back. It does kind of explain why they were going after Eugene, even though I just said I don't think they were specifically going after Eugene. Right. But I can see it. I don't really think the show's going to go that way, but it's an interesting concept from Brian. I don't think they're saviors, and I don't understand their motivations either. Uh, if they're just protecting territory. We talked about this briefly in the last episode, I think, where I was wondering where they came from, if they were just protecting their territory. And you thought that they had, um, uh, Eugene and Rosita moved out of their territory in order to put up that transponder or that that relay device in that water tower. So they went beyond where they normally would go in order to do that, encroaching on the Whisperer's territory, which prompted them to seek retribution yeah. for doing that. So yeah. searching for them. Um, if they were searching for Eugene and Rosita, and I guess they assumed they, they were sticking together instead of Rosita was able to get away, but she seemed pretty haggard, not just uh, t- uh, tired, but she looked like she had been hounded for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if she was running from the whispers, the whispers, um, it seemed like they were hounding her and, and dogging her along uh, making her a little bit crazy and tired and delirious. Uh, but apparently that's not the case. If they're circ- just circling around trying to get Eugene instead of going after Rosita, it seems to me like they're just protecting their territory. Yeah. But if they knew Rosita was leaving, how did they not, how did they know that Eugene didn't leave with them? I guess I just answered my own question. Uh, if they knew, they would have to have known that Rosita was leaving. If they, in order, you're right. If they saw her by herself and running away, yeah, um, they would have known that she ditched Eugene somewhere. So maybe he was still hanging around, or maybe they didn't know that she had gone and that she just went crazy trying to run, thinking that somebody was dogging her when when they weren't. Well, but if you think back to the scene where she collapses, right in the cold open of yep. um, Cudlitz's episode, I got the feeling that the whisperers were very close at that point. Like I, you can almost hear them. Right. And that's what's driving her nuts. And then she collapses and goes unconscious until she's found by Aaron and Jesus. And actually when they find her, we get some actual zombies in that scene because they have to pick her up and go because there's no time. So I think maybe the whisperers were 
hounding her. If we assume that those people weren't just zombies, they were actual whisperers. Right. I think maybe they were frightening Rosita. They were trying to frighten her. They weren't actually trying to capture or kill her because if they were right there and she went unconscious, there's no reason they wouldn't have been able to just walk up to her and, and take her out. Right. So I wonder if it was more of a scare tactic, at least for Rosita. So they run her off knowing that they had split up. They're like, well, we got to get that other guy. And since he was, uh, you know, he had come up lame, they probably would have known that. Mm-hmm. So he's probably hunkered down somewhere. So we got to keep searching. So they kept going around and around in their territory trying to find them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that probably makes some sense. And whether they were still in like whisperer territory at that point or not, it might have not, might not have mattered to them. They just wanted to do away with, or at the very least, put the fear of God in these people and hope they don't come back. Right. And by the, uh, the statement of the whisperer to Jesus before he died, you're where you you don't belong. I forget the actual line, but it's along those lines mm-hmm. of, uh, you're, you're in a location where you're not supposed to be. And this is the consequence of that. So I think they're just being territorial. Yeah. Yeah. they they definitely are. It's just sort of what, what was their goal with Rosita and Eugene, and how much did they know? Chase them um, off. Chase them off, yeah. Chase them off. And frighten them, and then kill Jesus. <laughs> well, at that point, it was, uh, you know, Jesus was, you know, full-on slaughtering a whole bunch of zombies and stuff. It's just like, geez, we got to get that guy. True. That and it's dangerous. And we we know he killed a bunch of whisperers, too, at least one, because Daryl took the mask off, but probably others as well. Um, and the whole the whole group killed a bunch of them, so at that point, they decide we're fighting back with lethal force. Yeah. Interesting. All right. The more we talk uh, about it, the more I'm fascinated by with, or by what the whispers were doing, are going to do, and what the sort of overall plan is. It's going to be good. Yeah. What have they done? What are they doing? What are they going to do? That's all, that's all I want to know. Everything. <laughs> yeah. I just want to know everything. That's right. All right. Next, we have a call from Lindsay. Hi, Chris and Jason. It's Lindsay from New Zealand again. Um, my interpretation of this mid-season finale uh, summed up right out Michonne. I cannot stand her character now that Rick is gone. Who Everything about her post-Rick is just, it's blah. I'm over the drama. I get that something's happened and, you know, the six-year pass, we are going to keep alluding to it and then we'll eventually find out what it is and I'm okay with that, but just everything about her, I just want to slapper <laughs> um really sad that they've obviously ended jesus but in saying that i'm really impressed with how they wrote him out the impact that it's got because you kind of now sit there wondering how and what is going to happen with this new group and you know why they actually even started following and chasing you know why did they just not turn around and walk in the opposite direction when they saw humans um Is it in their ethos to knock everybody out and get rid of everything and convert? Or it'll be interesting to see how this one ticks along. Um, Where I think, you know, the governor and Negan have always been about furthering or bettering themselves and getting ahead and becoming more powerful. Uh, This group definitely doesn't seem that way. Um, They kind of want to be hidden. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's the cult that those girls are referring to, not Jesus's cult. Um, so yeah, sad that he's leaving. I would have preferred Michonne leaving to be dead honest. Um, I was kind of banking on it. Um, and then getting the backstory of whatever happened to her and Daryl and a portion of the group and whatnot. But anyway, 
long story short I guess I was happy with this episode and I'm really looking forward to next year like the fact that it was a cliffhanger but not too much of a cliffhanger where I sit you know wishing my holiday away in order to see what happens next thanks guys keep up the great work cheers awesome thank you Lindsay so uh, real quick, we obviously talked about the Whisperers a lot, but I think her comparison to past villains was kind of interesting in saying that, you know, the governor and Negan were all about kind of building themselves up and living in the spoils of the, the apocalypse, you know, and getting stuff for themselves, whereas the Whisperers seem isolationist in a way. Yep. They they don't want to have anything to do with anybody else and... Um, and that's sort of opposite to what Governor and Negan were, were doing. So it's, it's just an interesting take, and I wanted to make sure we, we got that out there. Yeah, it is an interesting take. I'm not sure I quite understand it. Uh, if they're isolationists, why would they go after people using the one thing in the world that they're trying to avoid? Like, why not just, uh, you know, be ninjas in the middle of the night and sneak up on them because they're not really expecting sneaking up on they're they're expecting zombies even though it's a cool way of using zombies but it just it seems kind of a weird way to be an isolationist sure and you could also argue too like why why reveal the fact that you are traveling amongst zombies like this you know stop whispering and your the people you're after are just going to think that it's another group of walkers and they're not going to be any the wiser so you're right they could be a lot more subtle if that's what they really wanted to do these whisperers yeah they could uh they could put together a, a series of clicks like a whole click language and uh have uh hold on to clickers you know <laughs> click 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 i feel like somebody click, would click, pick click. up on that too though well, why not grunts and howls then use use the zombies own sounds uh to make a language there you go make a zombie an actual zombie language yeah and then zombies, Zom <laughs> zombies, zombies. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, Lindsay's first point though, about just can't stand uh, how she can't stand Mich Michonne anymore. Um, that's fair. I, I get it. Michonne's being all mopey and, and grumpy and we're not getting what we want out of the story right now, but I say, give it a chance. I say, give it a chance. We are going to find out. Maybe it's going to be awesome. And I, I hope it is, and I look forward to it. So I don't blame you, Lindsay, for feeling a little bit down on Michonne, but let's give it a chance and see where it goes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Let's have faith, shall we? Have some have some faith. Why not? I mean, they've they've won they've won me back. Angela Kang has won me back. Not that I was ever really gone, but uh so far I think she's done almost no wrong. And that's a good sign. <laughs> Perfect. All right, I can't remember who's next, Jason, you or me. Use next. All right. Pedro on the internet writes, on your last podcast, you talked about why the whisperers were just walking around in a circle and that they must be tired of doing that. You also wondered how they eat. I think the easiest way to explain this is that not all the whisperers are in the herd. The whisperers probably work in shifts. To corral the walkers, they walk around in circles and that helps them, helps them stop stragglers from leaving the herd they have created, like herding cattle, sheep, or other farm animals. When the current whisperer's shift is ending, the new whisperers join the herd to allow the current ones to slowly break away from the herd so they can take a break to eat and rest and do all those other things. So yeah, they merge in and out, and they never all just leave all at once. 
Right, and they can't like the they can't just corral the zombies in uh, in a, in, a, in a big cage or something in order to keep them. Well, I suppose they could. There's no reason they can't, right? Yeah, they if they just herd them into a into a fenced off area and then just leave them there. If they're herding them like sheep, I mean, they sort of could do that. If I guess if they wanted to, maybe they're maybe they're more moral and they're uh, they're just thinking, you know what, we should keep these as free range zombies rather than all penned up. Right. It's it's <laughs> it's better for their well-being. Yeah. And okay. they probably don't use pesticides or uh, anything like that. No, no growth hormones in these zombies, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. All organic water material. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel that way too and I I only use uh for my car, I only use gasoline made from free-range dinosaurs. Oh, good. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's the moral choice that I make. When I buy gasoline. Yeah. You don't want to use any of the uh, caged dinosaur gasoline. That's right. Got it. Fair enough. Only free range. I'll start doing that from now on. Yeah. Okay. Good boy. Mm -hmm. All right. Next, uh, we have an email from Elizabeth in the UK. I have to admit to being a little bit disappointed about the whispers. Oh my God. I thought the zombies were talking and thinking and planning. They were sentient. This is huge. This changes everything. Oh no, wait, they're just people. Nothing actually changed. Don't get me wrong. It's a cool, gruesome idea. Uh, the stench coat taken to an extreme and used not only to pass unharmed through the zombies, but to use them as mindless allies. It should be, oh my God, so cool, but it's not. Because they're just people, so they'll just go away like the saviors, the governor, the wolves, they're all the rest of them. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't feel like it was a letdown, but I knew what was coming and you knew what was coming. And I feel like those who didn't know what was coming would probably be blown away by this, but not everyone is the same. So Elizabeth, um, I, I'm, it's, I'm sad that you're a little bit let down, but again, I think we might be in for some pretty cool stuff. So they're just people, but they're nasty, nasty people. <laughs> yeah. And they have, they have knives. Yeah. Don't forget that. They got the, they have weapons that they hide from the zombies. You think zombies care that they're carrying weapons? I don't think they mind. I don't think they mind either. No, I don't think so. All right. Nia in London writes, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I am genuinely so shaken up over that walker ducking. I've unavoidably been exposed to some information about the whisperers. So knew there were humans in amongst the herd. But seeing a walker suddenly dodge an attack has unnerved me to the point that 15 minutes later, I'm still getting goosebumps. After nine years of knowing how something behaves, it's so unnerving to see that suddenly and unexpectedly change. And I think it was done so effectively. Yeah. So, you know what? That's just kind of the counterpoint to Elizabeth. That's why I put them back to back here. Um, not so impressed because they're just humans, but man, oh man, oh man, that was cool when that walker ducked. <laughs> it it was pretty cool. And, you know, subverting expectations is a wonderful form of storytelling. It's like getting in your car and your car going, hey, what's, what are you doing today? <laughs> cars, you know? are, cars are soon going to be able to do that, I think. I know, but, you know, yeah, I've been driving a car for, well, not as long as you, but, uh, you know, you kind of expect certain things out of your vehicle uh, or your pair of shoes. Uh -huh. Right, you put on a pair of shoes. You walk around in them for a while, but if you put your shoes on and your and your shoes suddenly turn to you, look at you, and say, "You know what? Your feet stink, and I've put up with it for too long. Wash your goddamn feet." <laughs> you know, You're, you got a lot of inanimate objects coming to life in your house these days. It sounds like I'm saying that that would be weird. It would be super weird. 
It would subvert subvert my expectations of my car or my shoes. 100%. And that would be totally bizarre. Yeah. Or if I was going to throw one shoe at another shoe and the other shoe ducked. (laughs) That'd be weird. That would be weird. I very rarely throw one shoe at the other, but it could happen. And if the other shoe ducked, I'd be unnerved. Well, I would be too. Yeah, I would be too. (laughs) All right. Let's keep going. All right. Next, we have an email from Jordan in Japan. I was glad that the show seemed to not be pairing Aaron and Jesus in a romantic relationship. It would seem too obvious and predictable to put the only two known gay men together. In real life, just because two people could be in a romantic relationship doesn't mean uh, they have romantic feelings for each other. Now, after the death of Jesus, I wonder if the writers did not put them together because they're going to match Aaron and Daryl together, as you guys speculated earlier this season. Although this would be more unexpected and interesting and interesting development, I'm hoping the show doesn't go this route. I don't think a romantic or sexual relationship suits Daryl's distant character. Also, from a representation standpoint, it's rare to see asexual characters represented in TV shows, and I like the way they've apparently uh, represented asexual people up to this point, not by calling special attention to it, by letting Daryl be who he is without making his orientation the thing he's known for. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. I think they inadvertently ended up making Daryl kind of asexual, and I think they're running with it now. I think they're going with it. Um, That's not to take anything away from the concept, but uh, I'd be very surprised if Daryl ended up with a relationship with anybody, man or woman, at this point. It's always just going to be Daryl, I think, and they're not going to make a big deal out of it. He just is who he is, and that's that. It looked like they were going to pair him up with Carol at one point, but that didn't go that way. Well, I don't even I don't even know if there was all that much indication of that. She was calling him Pookie a couple of times, right? And that came up again this season. Um, but he, it's a weird nickname if it's just a friend. Well, totally, it's just a friend. But like that, no, but it's a weird nickname. Like it's like you oh, know, yeah. hanging out with a friend and say, uh, "Hey, sexy butt." And it's just being a friend. It's it's kind of an intimate thing to say to someone if you're just a friend and have no sexual feelings for them, and they have none for you. Okay, but maybe Carol did have feelings for him, and she was was that was kind of her way of flirting. And and I that's fine. That's my way of flirting. Well, of course, sexy butt. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey, sexy butt. <laughs> I mean, you usually say that to your cats, but you know. Yeah, I uh, mean, it's it's flirting slash harassment. It it could go either way. Yeah, absolutely. All I'm saying is, but Daryl never showed any reciprocation of that if there was interest there on Carol's part. So maybe they peppered that into the show just in case they wanted to do something relationship-wise with Daryl. I feel like they've uh, made a conscious decision um, to not do that. Or maybe the showrunners just changed too often and they never really got around to going back to it. That's what I meant earlier when I said it was inadvertent, but... Uh, you know, I think Daryl just is who he is and they're not going to change that at this point. I wouldn't really want them to either. I think, um, he's now that they're using the guy again, he's, he's a really good character and I don't feel like he needs to, uh, have a relationship or not have a relationship, whatever he may want. I agree. All right. Emma in Frodsham, Cheshire, UK. I think that was probably close. Emma says, I need to talk about Daryl. Well done to the show for getting him a dog. I already have anxiety about when he will die, as this is inevitable. 
But can we also consider Magda as a possible love interest for Daryl? Magda is clearly cut from the same cloth, and although Daryl may not have seen hard jail time, I think we can assume he knows his way around a police cell. A large proportion of women in the UK think Daryl needs a cuddle. Make it happen. P.S. You sound very much like Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street. That's not a criticism. I wouldn't take it as such. No, neither would I. Uh, but it's never come up before, so thank you, Emma, for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Daryl and Magda, Daryl and Carol, Daryl and Aaron, who knows? Could go <laughs> could go any of those ways, but I have a feeling it's not going to go any of them. When I think about Bert and Ernie now, I get now, I think that, uh, I think somebody asked uh, one of the producers of Sesame Street, or somebody, I forget who was actually asked the question, said, are Bert and Ernie gay? Like, do they live together? Yeah, and the answer was no, they're Muppets. Yeah, they don't exist from the waist down. They're not gay, they're not straight, they're Muppets. Right. <laughs> That's a good answer. It is. Frankly. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have an email from Elizabeth in Newcastle, UK. I agree the stuff with Henry and the other teenagers was kind of out of place in this episode, but I do think it gave us some good insight into Henry's character. He came across as much more mature than those other kids. You put a stop to that walker walker baiting nonsense immediately and later when talking to his new boss he owned his wrongdoing not trying to make excuses or blame anyone else he is a credit to carol and ezekiel set those other brats to working in the fields they'll either have no free time or will be too tired uh, for getting into trouble yeah fair enough uh there was not nothing to be taken from those scenes uh but they did feel a little bit out of place in this episode and i guess it was more about a little bit of character development for Henry uh, than it was about introducing those three new yeah. kids. Throw um, it in the season, the, the, the mid season premiere. Sure. And uh, not in the finale. It just, it doesn't, it seemed out of place in the finale. Right. And I think you said a few days ago that they could have put that scene in almost any episode and it would have worked. So mid season premiere, you know, episode seven, if they could fit it in, who knows, but uh uh, it just wasn't perfect in here, but it wasn't the worst thing ever because we did learn a little bit more about Henry. We did. And that's fine. I'm 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 liking Henry as a character actually this uh this season, you know, now that he's kinda all grown up and, and doing stuff. So still got a stick. That's nice. He's still got a stick, yeah. He respects his parents. He's uh, looking to improve himself by studying with the blacksmith. Like he seems like a pretty responsible kid. Yeah. He's what, sixteen? Seventeen max. Yeah. Seventeen max? Yeah. Yeah. The kid Anyway, he's I'm def- just wondering about the respecting your parents thing at that age. Uh, well, that's why I'm saying he's a, he's a good kid. He's respecting his parents, and he's 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good for him. Good for him, exactly. Michael in Melbourne, Australia writes, Is it just me? Oh, here we go, Jason. Now we're getting into the slightly negative part of the podcast. So Slightly? Okay. Yeah. Is it just me, or has the writing gone completely to shit over the last few episodes? The stuff with Henry and the other kids was like watching a bad teen horror movie. Everyone's lines are cringeworthy, and tonight's episode felt like a badly rushed reason to introduce the Whisperers. As somebody who never minded the cliffhanger, keen to hear what you guys thought of the ending too. Still love the showrunner? I haven't ever considered stopping watching the show in all these years, but it's currently hard to sit through, kind of hoping Negan gets out and puts everyone in their place. So... I don't know if I could agree less with Michael, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I you think, might. Give it a try. 
uh, I, you know, I think it was, I think it's, well, we've said it a million times. It's great. I love Angela, what she's doing. I thought this episode, despite a few problems, was still really good. I don't think the writing's gone to shit at all. In fact, I think it's been better for the most part than it has been for a few years in some ways, certainly with some characters. And I thought the ending of this was great. The whole fog scene was amazing. Negan getting out, although we can't agree on the door, or we've talked ad nauseum about the door. Uh, you know, he's out, and he's going to be probably, the way I see it, sort of an agent of chaos in the next little ah, while. I just see him sneaking into bedrooms. Uh, he's going to be going into his uh, Father Gabe's bedroom, and then he's, well, not bedrooms, but he's going to be sneaking into houses, making spaghetti, babysitting, sleeping kids, maybe? I think he's that's, going... That's too weird. You can't do that on TV. Yeah, no, that's weird. I think he's going to just run off and he's going to be used similarly to how he's been used so far, except it's not going to be in jail. He's just going to be in a little bit here and there, uh, but he'll be doing stuff now instead of being locked up. And I think it'll just throw wrenches in plans. It'll be sort of Negan causing chaos and people might not even know why until some big thing happens. Right. But that could be way down the road. Do you think he's going to hide in, in Alexandria and not actually leave? I don't think he's going to hide in Alexandria. I think he's going to take off and run away into the forest. Hide in the woods, become a leader of the Whisperers? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It turns out they're all saviors. So lucky for him. <laughs> Super. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from Susan in North Carolina. Susan writes, the thing that is bothering me the most about the direction of the show is how they're always showing scenes we don't understand, then explaining later. We've watched so many important scenes blind, like the plan to move the mega herd when they first moved to Alexandria, or the all-out war final battle, or the weird pull-up to sanctuary with the armored cars scene, or breaking into the museum in Washington. How cool and fun would it have been if they talked about going to the museum and what they hoped to find? The old Walking Dead let us in on the plan when they found the prison. They talked about their plans, the way uh, to fight their way in, and we watched them do it. It was fantastic. When Shane went through that high school, uh, went to that high school to find medical supplies, we understood the challenge. What the challenge was. Tonight's episode was ridiculous. How little I understood what was going on between the characters. Why is everybody pissed at Michonne? The parts of the show, parts of the show that I loved, were the clear-cut parts. Eugene is in a barn somewhere, and we're going to rescue him. I'm all for some intrigue and foreshadowing, but it's reaching absurd levels. The producers have fallen in love with the show them the stuff they don't understand and explain it later idea, but I hate it. Am I the only one? Probably not, Susan. Uh, and I can see your point. They seem to be doing this kind of thing more than they used to. Uh, but so far for me, it's still working. And um, I mean, I don't know what else I can say. It's It's kind of going okay for me. And maybe if it gets more and more and more, then it'll annoy me. But you know, this is a little bit of a Gimple thing, and I guess maybe it's a little bit of an Angela Kang thing. She's executing it way better, in my opinion. But Gimple, I think, is the kind of guy who loves to show you the end and then go back and fill in the rest. Right. I mean, it's also an avoidance of the uh, the trope where if you tell the audience the plan, it'll never go to plan. If you don't tell them the plan, it always goes to plan. Mm-hmm. So but you can avoid that by showing them the result and then having to, uh, explaining what led up to it later, maybe. 
Maybe, yeah. It's it's a way to subvert that trope in a way. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Well, Susan, hopefully you stick with it and uh, you know, you either <laughs> well get used to it or or <laughs> they find a balance that works that works for you because uh I have a feeling this kind of thing's not totally going to go away. But it can also be a really effective storytelling technique too. So done well. And I get that you may not think it's done very well, but done well, it can be pretty effective. It can, yeah. All right. Okay, so we have a few more here before the end. And these ones I kind of grouped here because they're not really specifically about this episode. They may refer to it, but it's more about the first half of the season overall or maybe a particular episode that wasn't the mid-season finale. But I wanted to throw them on here anyways. So here we go. This first one is from Diane on the internet. Diane writes... Daryl trained Dog to bring him Walker body parts because he is hoping Dog will bring back a piece of Rick and Daryl will recognize it somehow. Then he will know Rick is dead and have some peace. That's not an idea. That's not a theory that ever occurred to me, but could could be something to it. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Or maybe he just likes to collect things. He collected ears in season two, so maybe he's uh, he threw that on the fire because. Uh, Carol and Henry were there. If maybe Carol and Henry weren't there, he would have thrown him on the foot pile that he has out behind his uh, latrine somewhere. <laughs> He's got a foot pile, a hand pile. Yeah. You know, piles of other things. That's... He's collecting, sorting, and curating body parts. Sure. Uh, or he's looking for Rick. Or he was looking for Rick or parts of Rick. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's hard to tell, right? Okay. So he's got the front half of a foot here. Uh, I don't recognize Rick's toes, but I mean, it could be Rick had toes, right? Rick this had... could be Rick's toes. Go find more of this guy. Maybe find, uh, find his head. If you could find his head, that'd be great dog. Go. That would really help. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely Rick's head. <laughs> or his, or his wallet. Can you find his wallet? <laughs> they still carry wallets. You think Daryl has a wallet? Uh, you, you don't really need ID. You don't really need a driver's license, you know, or you uh... carry your wallet with you just for nostalgia's sake. Remember when this bank card worked and money was a thing. I bet I would for a while. Yeah. To be honest, because you know, old habits hard to break, man. Yeah. Okay. I probably carry my dead phone around with me for a while in the zombie apocalypse too, to be honest. I don't know why. Just in case it started vibrating. Right. Just in case. <laughs> you never know. Exactly. Uh, all right. Next we have email from Hannah and Paul Brit in, in, in Finland. I guess so. Right. I, I don't know if, uh, if just Paul is the Brit in Finland or if they're both British or what, but that's what he wrote. Hannah and Paul, Brit in Finland. We've just watched the latest episode uh, here in wintry Finland, and The Walking Dead managed to surprise us for the first time in ages. My partner, Hannah, has suggested that all the Brits on the show have been quitting to ensure that they're back in Blighty before Brexit, the Brexit chaos hits. Morgan, Maggie, Jesus, and of course Rick are all played by British actors who have all left the show. Coincidence? I think probably. I don't know. Yeah, it's all it's all about Brexit. I guess so. Yeah, they're all trying to get back to the UK before or Britain before that before Brexit. I don't know, but it is weird that they're all the British actors who are moving on. Maybe maybe there's an anti-British sentiment in the uh, in the show management that uh, is just making them all uncomfortable and want to leave the show? I mean, there certainly wasn't in the past. So if there is now, you know, must be Angela. Yeah, it might be, it might be, uh, it might be uh, Norman Reedus. 
Hmm. Just he's calling everybody a stupid Brit all the time. Stupid Brit, stupid Brit, stupid Brit. And then it's it's just gotten too too annoying for them, and they all eventually just quit, all because of Norman Reedus. Well, he's the the big man on campus now. I think he gets paid the most. So, again, money talks, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, Who knows? I don't know. I think it's probably just a coincidence. Uh, We'll have to see if they hire any new British actors. Are any of the new people in Magna's group British? I do not believe they are. I I don't know. I think they're all American. So, we're we're sliding back into uh, anti-British territory here. Yeah. Anyways, Ryan in Boston writes, After looking back on previous half seasons, I can confidently say this is the first half of season nine. Sorry, I can confidently say that the first half of season nine was the greatest half season the show has ever done. For example, the last few years, my father would only tune in for the premieres and finales. But this season, he watched every episode and is absolutely hooked. The show feels fresh, reinvented, and actually scary. I mean, really, truly terrifying. In addition to the renewed horror, the storylines and dialogue, specifically from Daryl, have all been superb. Kang and the gang delivered one hell of a half season. Nice. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Thank you, Ryan, for your thoughts. It's weird to watch just the premieres and finales, isn't it? I I think so, but it probably happens a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's not how I would watch TV. I would watch the whole season and then watch it all again just before the next season comes out. That's how I typically watch TV. Sure. Also slightly weird, but less, less weird. I don't think so. Less weird. It's not as weird as my friend's mom, how she used to read books. I told you about that, right? You did. She you would read the she would read the first chapter, get curious how it how it would end, read the last chapter, go, what the hell's going on here? Read the second chapter. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. And then read the second last chapter and then work her way to the middle. That's pretty weird. That's not how you're supposed to read books. No, they're very linear. Yeah. That. Very, very linear. That's right. Except for the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Remember those? I do. I love them. They were great. They were. All right. Next, we have a call from Tommy. Hi, guys. Do you think Gabriel is trying to set up the radio so he can get in touch with Anne? Yeah, I know he's with Rosita now, and she's kind of hot, but, you know, he knows more than the rest of the group. He knows Anne had another group. He knew about the helicopter. He knew about the A and B thing. Um, he knew she was in touch with other people. Um, so, yeah, I'm just wondering if you guys think Gabriel's on the lookout for his long-lost love. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Tommy. So the question here does, is, does Gabe have an ulterior motive we're working with all that radio equipment. Uh, no. <laughs> no. I do think it's interesting, though, to think that he does know a lot more about potentially what was going on there, or at least that Anne was doing something weird because, you know, he he knows about the whole A-B thing. He probably understands it even less than we do. And he, I think, saw her talking on that radio so, so maybe he thinks something weird is going on and now six years and she's just disappeared. So he probably could have been not just using the radios to search for people or look for, uh, radio communications that are out there, but actually try to find 
out what happened to Anne because she kind of just disappeared. So I think it's possible. Um, it is. But who knows? Uh, I think he's going to have bigger problems for a while because he can't operate a door. Properly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he can open them, he just can't lock them. Right, right, exactly. So I don't know. The radio thing was uh, wasn't something I really considered that it would come up again. Uh, but maybe it will. Maybe it will. If you have radios, you should probably use them. That's what I say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Cindy in Columbus, Ohio wrote, I have a question about Rick's ring. How did Michonne get it? Rick always wore his wedding ring. Also, why would she wear a ring that another woman gave him? Doesn't make sense to me. So, uh, It is now Rick's ring. Maybe it's a ring she found... And said, and thought, I'll just wear this pretending it was Rick's. Well, I think it was supposed to be Rick's ring. Um, last podcast, listener Lee uh, mentioned that Rick wasn't wearing his ring when he blew up, or supposedly blew up. Uh, so I went back and checked to make sure, and it's true. He did not have his wedding ring on. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that Michonne just had it already, and uh, that's why she still has it. As for why she wants to wear a ring that used to be his, like, ex-wife's ring, um, you know what? Why not? There's probably not that many rings lying around, and it's the one they had, and so go with it. But I don't know why. I can't think of any other reason. So you think Rick gave her his wedding ring from Lori? Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, if you remember, Glenn had to go and cut one off a zombie to give to, to Maggie. Rick was like, oh, I'm too tired for that. Why don't you just take this one and we'll pretend like Lori never happened. I would be more comfortable if he went and cut one off a zombie, washed it, ran it under a tap a little bit or, you know, washed it in a puddle and then gave that because at least it doesn't have any other personal meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. Instead of uh, using something that was his wedding ring, even though we had, you know, it's not, not like they got divorced or anything. She died. Yeah. So does that make it better or worse? I don't know. I'm not sure. And maybe, maybe better. I think worse. Okay. <laughs> because it's still, it's not like it, uh, it would have more meaning that way. This is, this is my wife's, this is the, my wedding ring for my wife that died. Now I'm giving it to you. I hope for you, some reason, hope you don't die. No, I hope you don't die. Yeah. Uh, no, I would go and I would go and cut one off a corpse. I would break into a mall and go to a jewelry store and get a whole new ring. Yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. But I'm telling you, like, they, they, he might not have had time. Might have been too busy. Either way, uh, at least Michonne. At least Michonne don't has... exchange rings. You know, give yeah. her something she could use. Here's a pizza. I made a pizza for you. This is a, you know, a symbol of my love for you. It's got pepperoni. This is a symbol, a love symbol pizza. Enjoy it, please. You could put the pepperoni in the shape of a heart. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? You know, you can oh, order I... a pizza in Toronto that's in the shape of a heart. That's nice. Yeah. Gonna, next time I order a pizza, I'm going to ask for the pepperoni in the shape of a heart. Yeah, well, there you go. No, not just the pepperonis, the actual whole pizza. Well, I know that, but oh, okay. I like the idea of just the pepperoni in the shape of a heart. All right. Well, I hope you have to pay extra for that. I would pay extra for that. I'm going to ask. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Can't, it's no harm in asking. I was going to say at least Michonne has something to remember Rick by, and maybe we can yeah. just be happy about that. Yeah. Give her give her his wallet. 
you know, here's my wallet. This meant a lot to me over the years. It's got my credit cards. It's got my driver's license. It's got my health card. I've got uh, coupon cards for Starbucks. They don't exist anymore. They meant a lot to me. Now I want you to have it. I just think he threw his wallet away long ago. <laughs> Why throw it away when you can give it to you, the love of your life as a symbol of your undying love? Yeah, fair enough. All right. One more here before we call it a night. All right. We have a call from Final Harvest. Hi, this is Final Harvest from Germany. Holy crap, did you see that? When our heroes entered the cemetery, darkness fell across the land. The midnight hour was close at hand, and creatures crawled in search of blood and terrorized the neighborhood. They had to face the hounds of hell that rotted inside a corpse's shell. The foulest stench was in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly ghouls from every tomb were closing in to seal their doom. I was almost expecting a black zombie in a red jacket to appear and start dancing. You know, it's shocking how appropriate that whole little monologue was there, which is, of course, from the Michael Jackson song Thriller. Oh, uh, such a good album. I still remember the first time I heard Vincent Price read that yeah. or say that on that album. I would, it gave me chills. It, well, Vincent Price knew what the hell he was doing when it came to talking, yeah. and his voice was amazing. The song is fun. I remember the first time I ever heard Thriller. I was at my friend's house down the street, across the street, but maybe like five or six houses down. And at the end of the evening, I was going to leave, walk home, which I'd done a million times, but the song frightened me and I was scared to walk like six houses down the street and we had to call my mom to come meet me. <laughs> oh, really? I, to be fair, it was- An actual after, mom call? It was actually, it was after watching the video, not just hearing the song. And so like the video was kind of creepy and scary. I was a wimpy kid, I guess. Uh, I don't know how old I was to be honest, but we could probably figure that out. But I was a little scared, and I, I think I had to get my mom to come meet me because I didn't want to walk down the street in the dark, to be fair. It wasn't like the middle of the afternoon. It was dark. It was in the evening, probably in the winter. Um, but yeah, that was my the first time I ever saw the video for Thriller. Uh, but you're right. Fantastic song, and Vincent Price was the man. He was the dude. He was. Uh, but I just think how how much the that speech kind of actually relates to what happened in the cemetery in this episode. It was pretty cool. Um, it, it fits perfectly, I think. I think so, too. It's good stuff. Thank you, Final Harvest, for that. Okay. Long feedback show episode, uh, Jason. <laughs> but we are done. And uh, we are now done officially with the first half of season nine of The Walking Dead. Super. Super. So what does that mean for the podcast? Well, I think it means that you and I are going to take next week off. We won't have a show on Tuesday or Thursday next week because there won't be a new episode to talk about, of course, uh, unless something crazy happens and there's big news or something like that. But uh, at this point, that's unlikely. So there won't be a show next week. The week after that, I think we'll return with probably some Walking Dead news and maybe some other things, maybe a movie review. Who knows? We'll we'll talk about that offline and figure it out or off the air and figure it out. Um, but uh, but yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us for this first half of season nine. 
I know many people liked it as much as we did. And, you know, the show is reinvigorated. And I think we're most of us are looking forward to the second half of the season, which incidentally comes back on February the 10th. So we have a month, a couple and two and a half months or so until uh, until it's back. So we got some time. Yeah, a couple, three months. A couple, three months. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> well, in the meantime, though, even though there won't be episodes next week, if you have something to say, by all means, continue sending in your feedback. We love to get it. We read it all, try to respond to a little bit of it, and put a fair chunk on the air here, so it's always fun. You can do that by visiting the website, TalkingDeadPodcast.com, clicking on Send Voicemail at the top and recording a message. Also use your smartphone to record into the Voice Memo app and send that to us. That always works out pretty well. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Dead on Twitter at Talking Dead, or the email address is TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. All right, so we'll take a week off. We'll see you the following week, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.